Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that could transform hearts. Now, imagine when you opened up that book, it was full of highlights and notes in the margin, and so you could see how this book has transformed someone's heart. This is The Notable Podcast. These are discussions where pastors not only take seriously the biblical text, but they share what they've been underlining and highlighting, all of their notes that help them share the world's most important book and how it's transformed their hearts and how it can transform the lives of the people you know. This is Season 4, Darkness Passing, a reading of the letter of 1 John. You're about to hear a conversation between Kent Reader, a pastor at Illumin Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina, just south of Charlotte, and Luke Thompson, a pastor at St. Paul, a congregation serving downtown Ottawa, the University of Ottawa, and Carleton University in Ontario, Canada. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support us or hear more, visit NotablePodcast.com. That's N-O-T-A-B-L-E Podcast.com. This is the fourth season's first episode, Complete Joy. Here's Kent and Luke. Do you want to say it? Welcome to the Notable Podcast. I'm Kent, and this is Luke. Hi, guys. So uh, just as we're kind of maybe getting things rolling here, this is still real early on. I think we should probably introduce ourselves a little bit. Huh? So uh, Kent, who are you uh, exactly? Where are you from? How did you end up uh, kind of doing this gig here with me? Yeah, um, my name is Kent Reeder. I am the planting pastor at Illumin Church in Rock Hill. Um, I am also a, a father of a little baby boy um, and husband to a wonderful wife, but uh, I live in Rock Hill, South Carolina, uh, which is where Illumin is. It's a, a suburb of Charlotte, uh, just on the south side of the city of Charlotte. And I'm doing this podcast because not very far from me is a church called Peace Lutheran Church in Aiken, South Carolina, which is where Jonathan Borman is the pastor. Um, and he and, and Tim, his brother, started doing this podcast. And uh, we got connected a little bit and um, it seemed like a thing that was worth getting involved with. Let's talk about the Bible in a real specific and uh, focused way where we're just really going to dig into texts, but also with an idea that um, it's just looking at somebody's notes and trying to do it for all the people out there who haven't thought it through. So cool. That's what we're doing. What I know about you, besides some of that stuff that maybe is kind of interesting, so um, you are very active in a group called Conquerors Through Christ. Uh, and uh, so one of the things that you spend a lot of time kind of specializing in is, is uh, contemporary views of sexuality and uh, how that interfaces with the church. In fact, we had you up here to, uh, to University of Ottawa. I think it was University of Ottawa that we had you speak at was, to talk about contemporary views yeah, of uh, sexuality and uh, where that fits within uh, kind of Christianity today. And it was exceptional. Uh, the university kids just loved it. We had a blast. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was cool stuff. It was a good time. Um, I think um, that the work with Conquerors has been so, there's such a difference between like doing the day-to-day -day of ministry type stuff. You get to kind of think long-term and think about redefining a conversation. Um, and yeah, I 
putting God into a contemporary version of sex is a, is a fun task. Yeah. So yeah, good. Thanks for bringing that up. I also do stuff with music. I think if I was going to add another thing about me, I like music. I was going to say that. Yeah. 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 Play some stuff. Absolutely. Record some stuff and write some stuff. But you do that too. Yeah. Yeah. Which maybe is a good transition to you, Luke. Who are you exactly? Where are you from? Why are you doing a podcast? Okay. So I am a pastor in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada uh, for... uh, for our American friends, Ottawa is the capital of Canada. It's it's a smaller city, about the size of maybe I don't know, like a Milwaukee, you know, with the metro or something like that. Maybe a little larger than that, a million people. Um, but it's very metro, very urban, very international. And uh, the church that I'm at, it's named St. Paul. We're extremely diverse, urban. Uh, we're basically right on the campus of University of Ottawa. So we just love the university. We love the students. We love our immigrant community. We're also in the middle of tons of uh, embassies uh, as well. The Embassy of Angola shares our parking lot. And so uh, that's kind of where I'm from. And I spend an awful lot of time on uh, apologetics, uh, Christian apologetics, talking to university students about the meaning of life and the problem of pain and suffering and things like that. Um, so yeah, and I'm doing this because, uh, one day Tim called me up and asked me to, and he asked me to do it with you and I like it, Kent. We have a lot of fun and I thought it would be, it'd be a fun experiment for the two of us. So we do things yeah. together. Yep. Um, we do. <laughs> that was one of my favorite parts of being up there. Uh, just the, the trip into <laughs> Ottawa was seeing all the embassies, like walking through and like just yeah. how many yeah. places life isn't quite like that in Rock Hill. Um, we're population is a little bit different um but it's good uh other things i know about you um you have a unique voice right like you you've written some really good pieces of music that are getting some really good use i think around the church and that's very exciting uh you have your degree in philosophy um so that always sort of separates you from the pack a little bit right you went to a different school before you came to seminary um you're a glutton for punishment in that way um, yeah. And uh, you have a cool family history, too. Like you, the connections to ministry that you got from your growing up and your background, I think, have added a lot to the way that you approach God and people um, and God and people in the thing that we call ministry. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I, I'm from a. Um, a uh, my dad was a pastor, but we moved all over the place. Grew up in New York City. Uh, lived in the Midwest right now. My parents are living out in Hong Kong. Um, and so we just kind of grew up expecting things to be diverse and uh, being very uncomfortable when they're not diverse. And so... Uh, <laughs> like, when you think of a pastor's kid, you don't think of, I grew up expecting things to be diverse. Like, those two things aren't usually congruous, but they are for you. It's cool. They are. All right, here is the section of First John that we're going to be discussing today. Uh, and the people... Uh, who are who are reading it are all university students and young adults that you work with, Luke, in Ottawa. Is that correct? Yep. These are the voices of Jordan, Kalen, Allison, James, Kevin, Monica, Rhea, Joe, and Anna, and Anna. Uh, some of them are Ottawa natives. Some have come as far as Madagascar, Brazil, to study in Ottawa. I love them. They're awesome, and I get to share the Bible with them all the time. 
That's awesome. Um, and, and we're doing this reading this way, like with all these different voices mixed together, because overall, one of the major themes of John's letter uh, is that Jesus brings light into uh, a dark and isolated world and, and into our dark and isolated lives, and he makes new communities like he's doing with your students there in Ottawa. Yep, exactly. Excellent. So here we have John's first letter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, read by a bunch of Canadian students that Luke gets the chance to serve. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim. This we proclaim. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father, and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Joy complete. Joy complete. Joy complete. We write this to make our joy complete. So you are in South Carolina. Uh, I am in Ottawa, in Canada. And I was just curious, in America, in your community, uh, is Christianity known as a joyful religion? Because John's goal here is obviously to, to make joy complete. It's somehow to bring joy and peace and happiness and this kind of outward type of joy into the lives of a community. Is that, uh, is that the way yeah. uh, the vibes it's kind so of... Uh, where it's, you're at. It's such at an interesting, yeah. like I loved your question, especially because the last two words were joyful religion, which I think just in general in America right now isn't a huge concept. Um, that, that religion is a word that makes people, hey, yeah, that's awesome, love that. Um, but uh, around here, uh, Christianity is still a very popular thing. People are very involved with it. They find a lot of fulfillment from um, the relationships that they have due to Christianity or being part of a church. So there's a certain part of that, you know, like in the midst of tragedies that the Christians are the ones who do a little bit better, I think, um, or deal with it a little bit better than those who who don't. But uh, the religion part is where I find the, like, the juxtaposition with joy really interesting. I don't know, what's it like for you? So the reality in Canada is you've got this uh, French Catholic influence from Quebec, so especially here in Ottawa where we're right in between Ontario and Quebec, and then you get this more English-Anglican uh, influence from Ontario, and Ottawa's right in the middle of this, on the border, and so you have all of this. Uh, it's a, it's a post-Christian nation for all intensive purposes. Uh, there's just very few people going to church regularly, very few people that, even though they might identify as Christian, uh, could tell you anything about uh, their faith. Um, and so you have a lot of these kind of stereotypical views, especially coming from, uh, I, th I think, French Catholic influence, this idea of being weighed down by guilt and uh, needing to do all of your Hail Marys. And uh, there's been this huge, long-standing uh, uh, feeling of church interference yeah, with the right. government that's taken place in Canada. In fact, um, Pierre Trudeau, uh, one of the prime ministers, he's Justin Trudeau's father, he famously said, there's no place for the state in the bedrooms of the nation. And the reason he said that was because at that time, the Catholic Church uh, was so integrated into the state at that point um, that there was just this tremendous amount of influence from the state on what you should be doing in the bedroom. And so the overwhelming, whether or not this is what 
uh, Pierre Trudeau meant, which he, he most certainly didn't, but the overwhelming kind of stereotypical response to this is that religion, especially white, Anglo, male-dominant Christianity, it's trying to keep us from having fun. It's trying to get the government to pass laws that'll force me to act like a boring Christian in the bedroom or in society or you name it. And so uh, religion, especially Christianity, I think the, the general uh, reaction people in my city have is that it's no fun. <laughs> so Christianity is not known as a joyful religion, um, which is kind of interesting because Again, John here says that his goal is literally to make our joy complete, right? That him and the people that he's writing for, yeah, I, they're trying really to connect thought, with this community. And I hadn't really thought about how joy. different our two contexts are in that regard. Like, Because I don't think people equate religion with joy here either, but they still think it's good. Um, whereas for you, it doesn't seem like yeah. they think it's good. Um, whereas John wants both, right? What did you find interesting then about like this idea of religion well, being well, joyful? Like, you know, the, uh, so the word religion has that idea of binding or, or rebinding or connecting, and um, that that freedom equals joy is a big thing yeah. in America, even though people are still pretty religious around here. Um, and so then having like if right. freedom is is what brings me joy or happiness or or good um, feelings, then religion being a binding is going to have a hard time doing that, um, and. But at the same time, there's yeah. a really strong yeah. binding concept that comes in these four verses because um, we're going to get, you know, as we keep going into this like fellowship idea or this connectedness idea uh, from one person to another that has to come only as a result of John's religion. Yeah. And so my, my hope is our kind of theme going forward, the thing that I kind of really hope we can wrap our heads around is what does it take to say I have a joy filled life? Um, or my joy in life is complete. You know, what does it take for a Christian to actually say that? So, yeah, and just you know. as importantly, what what doesn't it take? Yeah, because um, the misconceptions are everywhere on this. Um, but yeah, you talked earlier that John's gospel, uh, well, John in general, you think is one of the most interesting people. And yeah, for me, he owns both my favorite epistle, which is this one, and my favorite chapter of the Bible, which is John seventeen. Um, and it, he he really is something that that is really attractive i don't know if it's that way for everybody but it's certainly that way it seems for you and um for me and like as we dig in having john the man uh kind of shine up through everything that happens in the letter i think is going to be just a, a real big blessing for us so even just in these verses or as we go forward what kinds of uh, what aspects of john do you see uh coming out yeah, well, what's kind of cool is, especially if you're reading uh, John 1, right? So as in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, side by side with 1 John, there are all of these ties between them, just linguistically and stylistically, and and you, you can just see this thing kind of shining through between the two of them. Um, so, I don't know, the, the way that I tend to think of it is, you know, a guy like Hemingway, um, one of these early 20th century American writers, Hemingway was the master of simple language, right? Just ridiculously careful wordsmithing, extremely simple word constructions, uh, very basic vocabulary, but in the midst of that, it was extremely profound, extremely deep water, 
that he was wading into with those simple words, right? Old man in the mm-hmm. sea is, is about a lot more <laughs> than an old man in the sea, right? And so many see Hemingway as this as the height of literature, getting the most out of the least amount of words, right? Um, if that's what you're going for. In my mind, John is the Hemingway of the Bible, right? He's got the most simple language. Um, you remember in seminary, uh, the first thing you translate when you start learning Greek is John. One. John. Yeah. yeah, right? Because it's so easy. The, the words are so easy. The language is so easy. It's a very small vocabulary. Um, but yet, despite the simple language, there's no question he's got the deepest, most profound philosophical, poetic thoughts. Uh, you just think of those I am statements and things like that and in John's gospel. Oh, and the way you use the metaphor um, of a word, and the way you use the metaphor of a light, and the way you use the metaphor of speaking or sound. Yeah, it's just constant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so you got, on the one hand, I think you got this super deep thinker um, that is writing in this very simple yet ridiculously deep way. And then the other part of it is is he is passionate right um a lot of times and i think it's i think it's it's wrong but a lot of times we got in our picture paul kind of this this greek uh logical thinking a little bit more dry and stuff like that and i think that's a caricature right there's plenty of times that that paul's passionate but but john it like just flows from from the sheets of what he writes his passion he's showing the heart of jesus in his gospel um, I mean, he right, calls himself uh, the disciple Jesus loved. Like, he uses passion as a moniker for himself. Yeah, yeah, right? And, and um, I mean, if, like, one of the themes when I'm teaching the Gospel of John, like, if I'm teaching what, like, the theme for the Gospel is, I'd use something like my God and my friend Jesus, right? The idea is that this Jesus, he knows me deeply, and he cares for me, and he cries for me, and he fights for me. And so I, th- I think with the epistle, you see all of that same stuff. Uh, of John just coming forward, except he's shifted focus slightly. Uh, the gospel, John, was entirely all about how this love from God has come down to us through Jesus, our friends, and now the epistle is that love flowing through us into the community around us. Um, yeah, you talked about... And so, sorry, go ahead. No, no. no oh, you good. talked about how he has all these, these deep thoughts, um, and I think... Like I couldn't agree more, but he also, they come out of or are connected to really deep and profound experience. Um, like considering yeah. that he was one of the chosen three disciples and that he had this special relationship with Jesus and that he seems to almost like like Mary, you know, like ponder things um, in his heart in an important way. And, and maybe like the, the gospel of John is a, a, a stronger display of that deep experience because it's just the narrative of what happened um, with his thoughts in it. And the, the first epistle of John is those deep thoughts that are coming out of that deep, deep experience. Um, that there's like a, like a connection between the two. You can't really have one without the other. Oh, absolutely. Right. One is almost his his memoirs. Uh, and then here in First John, it's more like if if you actually had him as your pastor. Yeah. Right. And he's talking to you and he's counseling you. So what does this um, mean? Because, yeah. Right. Uh, his experiences, how exactly that developed and affected the way that he goes about pastoring. Um, and, and he's passionate, right? One of, one of the names for, for First John is the letter of love, right? Because the word love appears so much. I think it's the highest rate that the word love appears per word out of any, any book of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that's just a, a beautiful mirror then of uh, of again what what his gospel was doing. So, hey, why don't you why don't you read for us uh, maybe the first chapter, the first few verses of uh, the Gospel of John? Yeah, I got it right here. Um, yeah, um, I'm using my Bible, so it's 84 still, but. Um, yeah. Just the parallels are unbelievable, right? He starts out, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So that, that's first four verses, versus first four verses right there. So what kind of similarities, uh, uh, what kind of common vibes do you pick up when you're when you're reading John and then switch over to the epistle? Broadly he's like doing a lot of repetition of vocabulary in both cases where like life, life, life yeah. keeps coming up in First John and uh, word, word, word keeps coming up um, and life also keeps coming up in the Gospel of John um, and then this idea that a thing occurred and that thing was seen between the two of them, um, and it occurred at the beginning. Or there's a there's a hearkening back all the way like to creation, um, or beyond anything John had even personally experienced, um, where this stuff's going to start from. Yeah, absolutely right. Both of them are almost uh, creation. Uh, they start right with creation, with the beginning. Um, and what's interesting is that both of them are making that reference specifically because of this, this figure that, that they don't name as Jesus yet, right? But instead they give him this other name first, right? The Word. Um, so before Jesus was incarnate, before he was born to Mary, uh, before he was given that name, Jesus, John tells us his name was the Word. Um, but that Word was from the beginning, right? And you see that in both of them, you I do. think, and right? It's not because um, like the, the Word of yeah. Life comes in verse 1 of both of them. And... Um, yeah. It's not a perfect connection, but in First John, in, at the very beginning, he talks about that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. And I know that he means like a yeah, broader thing, yeah. but it's also the word. Right, right. So he starts out with yeah. in John chapter one, the gospel. This is the word, and we heard it in in the in the yeah. epistle. Yeah, right. And I think they're both talking about creation, but but the difference with John is he's saying that which was from the beginning. So in other words, this person that was from the beginning, which we've heard, right? So this person that was from the very beginning, and of course the only person that was there before time and space is God, we've heard him, and we've seen him with our eyes, and we've looked at him, and our hands have touched him. Um, and so you got both of them just emphasizing as much as possible, John is this close eyewitness, right? Um, you've got that in, in the Gospel of John as well, right? Verse uh, uh, 14, the Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only. Um, so John, he comes from, like the, his starting point is, this is the man that I saw with my own eyes, um, and it was God Himself. And that sets the foundation for everything else that he's going to do um, in either the Gospel or the Epistle. Um, yeah, and, and yeah. that all is designed to make joy be able to be complete, right? So John yeah. finds that that thing, that man, that event, that he's all of those things, is going to be the single source from which his joy is going to constantly come. And he writes two books that are going to keep him really closely connected to it the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is a good choice, and, Luke. We're going to have fun. Again, you'll look at the two of them, and um, they're emphasizing both Jesus' humanity. If, if you're going to ask yourself why in the world would John write this epistle and some of the things that, that different commentators have talked about, and you know, and we'll talk about this more in, in later talks, but, but one of the things he's, he's going to be trying to drive home as clear as possible is this idea that this God... Uh, this person that is literally God, this word uh, was made flesh, right? He became a human being. And John emphasizes that just as much in the epistle, our hands have touched God, right? Has, has touched the actual flesh of God become incarnate. Yeah, really bringing out the tangibility um, of it um, that, yeah, that is sort of yeah. inescapable. And that that life, like his real actual life, is going to be a source for uh, a life that's even bigger than that, an eternal one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And wh why do you think um, John makes this this big deal about being a witness in a letter that's about having a joy-filled life? Like, what's the importance of that? Well, this is the whole. Um, there has to be both a like a point to this joy and a source of it, um, and him bearing witness to everything, right? To to the fulfillment of creation, to the existence of this man, Christ, who uh, fulfills everything that he was looking for, um, that, that his opportunity to see that has given him something to believe in that is going to bubble up and overflow from him forever, right? This is going to be able to complete him, and not just him, but it's going to completely bind him and connect him to other people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he's also, like, John just has an honesty to him where he feels really humbled by the fact he appeared to us, um, that we touched him and we got to do this, um, that like, who am I, that this should be me. Let me share this with you as much as I can. Yeah. In, in my mind, there's, there's kind of, when you're talking about the joy that comes from religion, uh, there's kind of two types of joy. Um, so there's kind of like this anticipation joy, right? So like when you get engaged to be married, right? And you're anticipating the wedding, right? And it's something that's not here yet, but you're looking forward to it. And so you've got on the one hand the anticipation, but then on the other hand, you've got the delivery when you're actually standing there at the altar and saying, I do. And there's aspects of both of these in being a Christian, right? There's, uh, there's the aspect of, of anticipating what's to come, but the witness part isn't about that anticipation, right? It's about uh, hoping that God, it's not about that God will keep his promises in the future. It's, it's the delivery, right? God is keeping his promise now. John was there, and so his faith is not founded on this wishful thinking about the future, but it's a faith founded on fact, and that gives them a hope for the future, right? And, and I don't know what, what you think of, of this, right? This is sometimes been described, but like the difference between Christianity and all other religions and philosophies, all others out there, you're hanging your hat on words, on wisdom, on philosophy, kind of hoping that they're right, right? So like Muhammad was in a cave, Joseph Smith was deep in the woods, Siddhartha Gautama was under a tree in a jungle waiting to become Buddha. Christianity, though, is not about words so much, some deep philosophical wisdom but it's about recorded, witnessed events. And so John was with Jesus. John saw him die. John ate lunch with him three days later. This all hinges then everything 
that that John believes and draws his joy from and that this community ought to be built on it all is drawn from this idea of them being witnesses not on some abstract philosophical wisdom um, or of someone that claimed uh, supernatural wisdom in private but that he was there with Jesus with all the other disciples and based on that uh, he's got he's got real type of joy right um, yeah. I've been really observing uh-huh. that contrast um, in the difference between you know you, you brought up Buddhism and um, uh, and Islam and uh, Mormonism and but but in in like humanism or you know in that sort of nun category where we're going to rely on yeah. ourselves and we're going to make this work like there especially um, there's this reliance on please let me find a really good pithy thing that I can hang my hat on because um, <laughs> yeah. otherwise I am just lost right like so here in the states yesterday there was this shooting um, at a school in Florida I don't know if you saw um, that yeah. story right but but everyone's yeah. trying to find. Um, a thing to say or a thing to you know just some right combination of thoughts and ideas and prayers etc that are going to make it okay um, and the thing that makes it okay is a different murder right it's, it's Christ it's the, the thing that happened to him is the only way we're going to work our way through this kind of a tragedy or this kind of a difficulty and it has to have happened or else we are just floundering um yeah, so how might you use something like like this first part of First John? How would you use that if, to talk about something like the tragedies in, uh, in Florida at that high school? Oh, it, you have to. Um, so um, you, you have people who ask questions after a thing like that. They ask questions about why. They ask questions about, you know, why not? Why aren't there changes that are being made? Why aren't there? And, and the answer is not going to be more legislation and the answer is not going to be less guns and the answer is not going to be um, more justice the answer is going to be more people who are transformed the way that John is transformed and John knows that and that's why he writes these four verses at the beginning of first John he wants to make his joy complete by having fellowship with you our fellowship um, this connection that we have why do we do this why do we proclaim to you what we have seen so that you may have fellowship with us this is how things get better this is how things are okay if we can all gather around this thing that really happened this actual gospel that is going to be an adequate more than adequate a perfect response to the kinds of difficulties and tragedies that we who do wait in a certain anticipatory um, state now um, that, that we can actually hold on to and use. John is directly connecting joy completing to having fellowship. Um, he states that the purpose for the preaching of the gospel literally is fellowship. So what are the benefits of thinking about both on the one hand, joy and fellowship in this connection. Um, what, what's the benefit of thinking about it in that way? Uh, well, it removes selfishness, right? Like, which then gets in the way of yeah. it. Um, it. Selfish joy is incomplete joy. Um, the only yeah. kind of good joy is shared joy. And it, like, I, I love the, you have some phraseology on here about life-changing, guilt-destroying, fun-creating truths that can lead to some actual joy for people. I, there isn't room for it. John is not being selfish by writing this book. Jesus was not being selfish by coming um, 
to, to, to earth. God was not being selfish by sending his son. And we aren't meant to be um, selfish in what we do. I don't know. What would you say to your question? Well, what's kind of weird about the way that, that so John in several other places, he says this, this idea of, of uh, well, here joy is going to be complete later on. First uh, John 2, 5, he's going to say God's love is being made complete in obeying God. And, and part of it is, is kind of uncomfortable for me the first time I'm reading it. Maybe it was for you, too, because you're almost thinking, well, how are things not complete yet, right? How do, how do I have to do something in order to make the gospel complete? And obviously, he's not saying that, right? Um, and so we'll talk a lot more about this later as we see some of those other sections. But John sees the complete gospel in almost two steps, I think. As far as personal salvation goes, as soon as you believe, you're good, right? Jesus saving you is complete, but his work in your life is not complete. The full picture is that this love creates something new in you and that it makes you want to create a new community, right? Forgiveness is complete the moment Jesus died for you, the moment you believe, but the effects of that love and forgiveness, they spill much further into our lives uh, and the lives of those that are around us. The complete picture, the complete goal is not a single person being saved in John's mind, but a community being saved, a church, right? That word church literally just means gathering of people, right? That there's a new family building a new future together on the promises of God. Um, and so in that sense, I think that that's his goal, right? Is that the, the gospel, um, after creating faith in people's hearts, when you hear that word, after being strengthened in your trust in Jesus, then part two begins, so to speak, uh, and the Christian community gets created, and that Christian community begins to reach out with love uh, into the people around them and into the places that you find yourself. And in that sense, I think John is striving to make joy complete. Can I get what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, I, yeah. yeah. Like the idea that the moment that you're baptized, the moment you are converted, it, it's not done, is really important. Because yeah. if it were, God would just yeah. zap us up to heaven, right? Like we would baptize a baby and suddenly we wouldn't have a baby in our hands anymore because that baby would be in heaven. But that's not the way that it works because there's there's a bigger goal. Like salvation in an individual is, um, it's probably too strong to say like means, but it's kind of like a means to salvation of more individuals according to the system that God has put in place um, and that Christ put in place when he ascended. Uh, this is the way that he gets this done. It's the point of it. Yeah, right. And and Christians revel in in this being used as God's tool for for uh, for for the gospel, getting out the good news about Jesus' love for us and what he's done for us on the cross, that getting out into the world, and that getting out into the world by uh, Christians that are serving and loving and taking care of the people in their communities and finding ways to meet needs, to be small little reflections of how Jesus met our greatest need, right? Um, and that's what I think, if, if you're looking at the beauty of John's epistle here. It's that he is going to be talking an awful lot about what Christians ought to be doing, but it's all what we call gospel motivation, right? It's all entirely, you just take a look at the love of Christ and what he's done for you, 
and the conclusion of how you need to live your life is just obvious. Life in the light, uh, um, he's going to be talking about, but, but this idea of, of this life that we're now compelled to live through Christ, um, the kind of community that that's supposed to create, it's, it's just... It's just a natural next step. It's a fruit of the Spirit, right, Paul calls it, um, for what Christians are supposed to do. And that natural next step is a community, right? A community of love and care for one another. Yeah. Um, and as you and I know, yeah. in the brief and fleeting moments when we get to see that community start to actually happen and hearts connect because of the gospel, like, man, does that complete joy <laughs> in, a, in a powerful way. It's yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, right. I mean, there's there's kind of two unique types of joy, I think, that a Christian feels. Um, one is when a Christian uh, uh, comprehends, realizes, is meditating on what Christ has done for you, right? And that's that's an amazing thing um, when, when, when you're just contemplating how this God that was there before the creation of the world, how he... Uh, came into this world for me and died for me, and the joy that 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 comes from that—it's it's just great, right? Um, but then there's the second joy, and that's when you share this with someone else, and you get to watch them realize this, and you get to see the the Holy Spirit create faith in their hearts. You get to see love bloom in their souls. Um, and then that's this, this other type of joy, right? And you put those together, and this is the complete joy that, that, uh, that John wants us to feel as Christians. Um, yeah, and both of those are so well yeah. represented in just those four verses. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. Do you mm -hmm. have other uh, things you want us to dig into on these uh, verses here? No, anything on your no, mind? No, this is um, good. This is fantastic. Thank you. So next time we're going to dig into a bit more on the author, so we won't we won't go so textual. Uh, we'll really talk about John for for an episode, um, and then after that we'll dig back into the text. Seem like a good plan. Yeah, sounds like a perfect plan. Thanks for listening to the Notable Podcast. Check out our other seasons to hear other people sharing their notes and highlights. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support us or hear more, visit NotablePodcast.com. That's N-O-T-A-B-L-E podcast.com. Thanks for listening.